55 of the Sleeper in the Bust. I am your host, Paul Sporn. It is your Thursday edition, which means I am joined by Mr. Eno Saris. Eno, how are you doing today? Uh, just, uh, I'm so discombobulated, middle of trade, in the middle of moving, uh, trade. Trade's happening. Going on, and a kid is teething and sick, and didn't sleep much, and you know, I mean, it's pretty funny. Somebody at some point was like, isn't he always sick? Somebody, somebody said something about baby or the, the baby being sick and something else, like you being tired or something like that. I can't remember what it was. It's like, is there ever an episode? It's like, right. I'm doing great. I'm amazing. <laughs> so you're you're in, in good health. We'll get, is it Felix who's sick? We'll get him back. Yeah, I know. It's but, a baby. but you know what? Baby's sick, so it's worse because he's just cry, cry, cry. Exactly. But my, my two-year-old niece, I feel the same way that she's always sick. My sister's like, oh, she's running a fever, this and that. I'm like, I feel like that's just kids. Yeah. Uh, I'm not a parent, but <laughs> my understanding of it is that's kind of kids. They're just yeah. – they love being sick. It's their favorite thing to do. Now, you mentioned something. We're going to dive in a little bit. Uh, we got some news here. We got some trades finally sparking up. The, the rumor mill hasn't been over the top. Uh, you know, we got some names out there that have pretty much been out there since freaking the spring, and and they haven't been traded, so they're still out there. The Phillies guys, uh, Hamels and Papelbon, Cueto. You know, we got some key names. Oakland's guys, they're always available. Even if Oakland was 20 games over 500, Zobras would somehow be available. Um, so, you know, we've had the names out there, but not, not so much action. Well, we got two nice moves today, and it started with one of the aforementioned Oakland guys. Scott Casimir was traded back to his hometown, Houston Astros, for a couple of prospects. Uh, Jacob Nottingham and uh, can't pronounce – what was that guy's name? Men, Mendigen? Daniel Mengen, I believe that that is what it was. Okay. Uh, I've never heard the name said, so I apologize on that. It's M-E-N-G-D-E-N, Daniel Men, Mengen. And he is a uh, – he's a pitching prospect. Nottingham is a ki- catching prospect. Nottingham is the is the big piece here in terms of uh, – for Oakland. He's a rising prospect, a, a catcher. Uh, at least ostensibly, he's also played some first and DH, so maybe he's not long for catcher, or, or that's just how they rest him to keep his bat in the lineup because he's having a huge season. Uh, is Nottingham at A ball and high A? He's got a 9.41 combined OPS with 14 bombs in 329 I, plate appearances. I heard a a new term for him, which I I hadn't heard before, which is. Um performance prospect yes i heard that that's so funny that i heard the exact same thing and it was a tweet um after i had tweeted out uh, retweeted bill uh who i forgot who broke it but i retweeted whoever broke that news there um and somebody said oh weird oakland goes for a performance prospect yeah. so the the name kind of tells me what it what it is but uh you know so i obviously it's just guys who don't necessarily have the pedigree nottingham was a sixth round pick but they're playing it's not like Nottingham's always been a performance prospect, though. You know, his first two years were kind of blah, but those were in rookie ball as an 18- and 19-year-old, so I'm not getting, even really going to care all that much about those numbers. But do you know anything about either of these guys other than kind of what we've read today on Twitter? You know, I, I guess uh, the uh, the question really is uh, if he's going to stay a catcher, but uh, the bat seems like it might play uh, be a, not a catcher. He's a big guy. Will he get too big? You know, will the bat once once you like aren't a catcher anymore, then if you're too big, like if you're Dan Vogelbach, then like you're either you know a, a DH or you're you can't make it, and you're there's much more pressure on your bat to to be good Absolutely. or great, you know, because of the thresholds that um, 
that people go for. So, you know, I, I do think uh, there's a lot, like a, a huge chance that he never either plays in the big leagues. And then I think there's an even bigger chance that he never plays in the big leagues for um, the A's. And, you know, I think that in this case, it's almost like the Barreto stuff. They either go for guys that they think are have a high floor and are ready to contribute right like, away. Like Joe or, Wendell, who they got for uh, the Moss. Right. Or they go for Franklin Barreto who may never play for the A's, but they can pump him up. They can turn him into Addison Russell, and then they can turn him into whatever they need uh, exactly. you know, when the team is good again. So uh, that's about all I know uh, about uh, you know Nottingham in particular, uh, other than um, I think his old team is going to play his new team in the minors uh, today. That's hilarious. So that's that's a fun little thing. Interestingly, uh, uh, folks were hoping that would happen to, to Casimir as well, that he would get traded to Toronto and then just move <laughs> over there. Obviously, he didn't. Let, let's talk about him. He's obviously the, the focal point here. Just want to get some news on those prospects first. Casimir is the lefty going to go over uh, and join the Astros, gives them you know, a real nice piece here. I love this move for them. You know They don't have to blow out the system and go get a Hamels or Cueto, which I actually wouldn't have objected to if they didn't pay too much. And who, who knows? Maybe they still go. Go for another guy. I don't know. But this is a great move here as far as I'm concerned. Keuchel, uh, McCullers, Casimir, McHugh. That's a nice little four right there. I like that. Uh, Casimir, now he's had an interesting season. He's really benefited from that home park this year. A 136 ERA in 10 starts with Oakland. 66 innings, a .91 whip, solid skills. Skills have translated on the road, but the biggest difference has been home runs have led to a 392 and eight starts on the road. He hasn't allowed a single homer in Oakland for Casimir, and he's allowed seven on the road, giving him a 1.4 homer per nine. But like I said, strikeout rate is actually better, and actually so is the strikeout-to-walk ratio. So skills have translated. He's just had a little bit of a tougher time on the road. How do you see Casimir in Houston? Yeah, I think that's a relevant thing. To, I wouldn't necessarily focus too much on the splits this uh, this year uh so much but I mean, it is important because he's kind of the last couple of years he's improved and, and returned to, to to grace or whatever uh, but i do think that it is important to bring up home runs um and and road home splits in general because you know one of the things that was so relevatory about what he's done in oakland as had you know beyond returning to the strikeout rates he always had or or at least you know the older version of those uh, was eliminating a lot of the homer problems. So, you know, now if you look over the course of his career, um, you know, you've got a lot of homer problems in the middle when he was hurt and in general a high homer rate. And um, and in the last two years, a minuscule homer rate. It's been so fantastic I, with Oakland. And then if you look at his splits, even though he's a change-first guy and change-ups change are really good for platoon splits, if you look at his platoon splits, they're actually kind of – um, normal, uh, conventional. He, you know, he gives up more homers to righties, mm -hmm. and um, so then you, you you go over to the the guts, the the glossary, and you see that um, the uh, let's see here, the Astros Park has a 104 factor for uh, park factor for home runs uh, as a righty. Um, okay. And the Athletics uh, have a 96. So that's not too bad. It's not the most extreme move. The most extreme move would be from the Pirates to the Rockies or the Reds, but um, not to is, the Yankees. Oh, Yankees <laughs> in flight lefties more. Excuse me. Go ahead. Yeah, that's the lefties one. But uh, yeah, in any case, um, 
it's not a good move for him. And I think this is, I mean, I, I've been trying to get out, uh, get out from under my Casimir shares. I traded him for Eduardo Rodriguez uh, earlier this season in Audenew. And just, that's part of its injury and, 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 and history and age uh, as a 31 going on 32 year old. Um, and then part of it is just that I was worried that a lot of it was park, you know, absolutely. If he, if he goes back to even what he did um, with Cleveland. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think even what he did with Cleveland there, he had a, that's a much more neutral park than say Tampa or even uh, Anaheim or Oakland. He gave up over a homer per nine. He still had the strikeouts, but he had a 404 ERA. Maybe you can. Uh, I, can you depend on the Astros to do better defense uh, than a than a three two four Babbitt that he had in, in Cleveland? Probably. Uh, so maybe I would say I, I would value him as sort of a three seven, three eight ERA guy. Sure. Sort of one point two WHIP and eight strikeouts. It's still it's still very usable and maybe Absolutely. worth holding on to him because maybe your offers were just horrid and he's still undervalued because nobody wants to you know pay for him. But uh, it is also kind of maybe almost a worst case scenario. I mean I guess Toronto might have been worse, but um, you know otherwise uh, it is you'd rather he. I was hoping for you know L.A. I guess. Yeah, that would have been much nicer for Casimir. Um, as far as Houston goes, when we're talking real life, as opposed to fantasy, you know, outside of Keiko and McCullers, they've got a bunch of guys with with low to mid fours ERAs. So even if Casimir is only kind of that upper threes, it's going to be an improvement. And the fact is, you know, he can still beat that. He's not destined to go up. It's it's obviously not a, a positive move for him. But uh, you know, he could he could Casimir could still reasonably put up a, a, a three ten the rest of the way too that that's probably the high end of what he could do and he's at 238 right now so I mean, I mean i guess he's destined to go up from where he is but he isn't necessarily a guaranteed failure here or anything like that with houston so i still think very positive move for them but fantasy wise it has to hurt his value it's a little bit weird for me because i just saw this team as you know building for the future uh and building you know not slowly but actually sort of quickly um uh, when you're talking about the um, the Astros, so I thought that the Astros might go for Cole Hamels. Uh, yeah, someone they could have beyond this year to keep yeah. it going. I agree with you there, and that's why I, I thought they were good fits there too. Yeah, Casimir is a free agent, but you know uh, the the news did come out that uh, McPhail said he didn't want a lame duck GM presiding over a Cole Hamels trade. Which you could you could read him saying like I I would do the trade like call me, <laughs> um, or a ten year well, Ruben extension. Yeah, <laughs> uh, no, probably. Otherwise, not. why would he say that? You could say maybe he's saying call me, but otherwise, uh, it seems to suggest that Papelbon and, and Hamels are going to stay put. I I still feel like that would be terrible for them, but whatever. Uh, they're, they're it's doing always this. your value like in terms of what you get back for a pitcher. It's always better, or for anybody, it's always better in um in uh in july because the teams have know their contenders you know yeah, so, exactly they'll yeah. they'll maybe be a little bit more reactionary i mean you you, yeah. you made a joke on one of the the bigger reactionary ones today when you were mentioning the uh the wheeler for beltran deal uh <laughs> kind of in reverse now you were saying that the mets would turn around and deal wheeler to get beltran so yeah i mean that's obviously joke. that's the joke yeah Some yeah yeah pretty mad about that joke but uh who cares 
exactly. Who cares? Um, by the way, Casimir will start Friday for Houston. He was slated to go today, so only the one day there. And frankly, if you do have Casimir, you're pretty glad about this because maybe some of the difference between his ERA with Houston as it, as it would be with Oakland uh, is mitigated by the fact that he didn't have to face Toronto. And we know what they do to lefties. So, uh, you know, maybe he got escaped a little <laughs> bit there. But just as we were, you know, kind of digesting that, finishing that up, getting into the late afternoon, we get another trade coming across, and it's another solid name. You know, these aren't the biggest deals, but they're impact moves. And uh, Pittsburgh goes out and gets Aramis Ramirez, a, a former friend of theirs, who they, I believe, I believe he started with them and, and, and put up some good stuff. Yeah, actually, I was looking at his page earlier. Aramis Ramirez was traded to the Cubs from the Pirates for literal garbage. They got nothing um, back then. And it was re it's really weird to think because he's always been so good. Aramis Ramirez, I mean, um, even with the Pirates, had a 30 uh, 34 homer season, a 34, 112 RBIs and 300 season. I think the year he was traded, he hadn't been all that great, but yeah, still weird to see that he had got such poor returns. The fact is, uh, this is very what interesting too. Pardon me. What'd they get for him? Um, somebody named Barrios with an A as opposed to with an E. And let me get you the first name because it was put out there and I can find it really fast. Nope, I can't. I lied. Can't find it really fast. <laughs> uh, but it was, I believe it was a guy named Barrios with an A as opposed to an E like Jose Barrios from uh, Minnesota. And so Aramis is going to head back over there. You know, somebody made a funny mention here uh, that they kind of created their own market here, did the Brewers, when Carlos Gomez slid into Jordy Mercer. They were not suggesting that they did it on purpose. Obviously, it was a joke, just like your joke about the Beltran-Wheeler trade. But yeah, I mean, they probably never go out to make this trade for Aramis Ramirez if they don't also lose Mercer because they were fine with Gong fitting in for uh, Harrison. So basically the way this will work is he's going to play third right now uh, for Aramis. And then even when Harrison comes back, he can shift over to first base and, and play play there, uh, can Aramis Ramirez. So even though he hasn't, that has been suggested that he can go over there and play some first base, uh, perhaps to finish up his, his season and career for the Pirates. So I like this move for them. The park is obviously, this is another one though, where I like the move for the major league team, but fantasy wise, it is a downgrade because he goes from Miller Park to PNC Park. And as you mentioned earlier, PNC is one of the worst ones you can go to. So how do, you, how do you see this move for Aramis? It's pretty bad. I mean, this, it's the worst. Pirate, Pirates Park is the worst for right-handed power. Ouch. Well, the one good thing is at least he won't have to face Pirates pitching when he's there anymore because that <laughs> – that just makes it much more difficult when you're already in a tough park and facing Cole, Liriano, Burnett, Tony Watson out of the pen, Melanson out of the pen, Bastardo, Caminero. I mean, that would be kind of a fun, a fun study. What would be worse to face Pirates pitching as a Brewer in Milwaukee, or face Milwaukee pitching, pitching. as a Pirate in Pittsburgh? <laughs> That's really interesting. Yeah, I, I, again, I think I'd rather go to PNC, especially with somebody like Aramis, who's a good hitter. And yeah, the park is going to hurt him compared to Miller, but no park can hold him when he gets, you know, he doesn't have overwhelming power anymore at 38, but he, he, he can hit it out of there. So oh, 37, excuse me. So I think he'll be mostly what we've seen this year, mostly himself, uh, maybe even a tick better, even though the park's tougher. I don't think he's been at his full capacity this year. So I don't know, something in between this year and last year. He's got uh, Aramis Ramirez has a 725 OPS this year, a 757 last year. That's a pretty tight window, but I think it'll be something like that. It'll be fine, useful, just about average, or maybe a tick or two above. Not great, but not bad. Again, better move for the real life team than anything fantasy wise.
What hurts the NL only owners of him is that at some point Harrison and Mercer will be back. And and, uh, and, and and yeah, so what happened? That's why I said someone was speculating that he would go to. Like, I think it was Cameron actually speculating what, that he would go to first. Uh, and like that is probably true because uh, apparently the the Pirates have shot Pedro Alvarez to everyone. And, no one's buying. Uh, yeah, and like they don't have a great right-handed first base option. I, I think I can't think of it off the top. Oh, they, of my- they've been looking for one for years. I think it's actually isn't it Corey Hart this year? You're right, and he's been hurt a lot. And yeah, weird. So, uh, weird this- that he's been hurt. It's been Sean Rodriguez in replacement, basically. Then, and and the the whole point of this trade was to stop using Rodriguez, so they don't have to use him at third now, and they won't have to use him at first. So that that gets Sean Rodriguez off the field with regular playing time because he has not been good this year, Sean Rodriguez. Yeah, and I think you know you can Rodriguez and Florimon are the backups, and then when everyone's healthy. You know, if if Gong is playing as well, you see Gong is Gong has a little bit of risk too because I see a lot of people asking me who should I play, who should I play in my twelve team or Gong, uh, Zagura, um, you know, I forget yeah. the list. And and I was like, you know, I like Gong, but there might be a sunset date on him, and especially if it's head to head, you know, if you get him for a while and then you have to go looking later in the season when there's even worse options on the wire. Uh, I'm not so sure about that. So, you know, in some ways, I think Segura would be ahead of Gong in my rankings just because it's almost like a um, a pitcher with a innings pitch, uh, you know, that might get shut down. That's fair. And it's like, he, you know, Gong might be better on a per PA basis on the way in, but then what if you're picking uh, among the real slim pickings later, you know, so... And, and the fact is, they love Mercer's gloves. So even... If if Gong still plays, you know, with with uh, a modicum of regularity, it's it not going to be all the time. Yeah, it wasn't the full slate. And uh, you know, the big bummer about Gong uh, so far in July, he's been good, but 0 for three on the base pass. That's a bummer because he's been actually raking 362, 439, 534 triple slash, loving that. But the 0 for three, what a bummer. And so I don't know if that's going to tamp down, you know, give him a yellow light, give him a red light or whatever. But right. uh, that would have been huge if he had even, you know, even even two for one there, uh, uh, two for three rather, would have been nice for Gung. But uh, that's a good point that you make about the injury returns hurting him the most, even though Mercer's a worse hitter. And we get focused on on the fantasy aspect of it and say, well, why would why wouldn't they just put in the better hitter? They love Mercer's glove, plain and simple. Yeah, and Ramirez, like, even if Harrison and Mercer are back, Ramirez, since they apparently hate Alvarez so much, um, you know, Ramirez actually has a place to go, whereas I doubt that they'd be playing Gong at first. Um, yeah, I, I don't think so either. So, so uh, yeah, well, we'll stay tuned on, on that situation in Pittsburgh. Uh, not only did we get a couple good trades, we also got some, some rumors. Uh, one in particular that stuck out to me, because it's also a guy you want to talk about a little bit with regards to the fantasy angle. Cleveland's actually listening in on uh, Carlos Carrasco and some of their other guys. So they're, they're, they're at least listening, which, you know, that never necessarily means anything. It's just interesting to hear because, you know, I wouldn't have thought that they were necessarily looking to trade any of, uh, of the pitching. But maybe they're listening to get a bigger bat and still try to mess around this year. Who knows? But it's not like Carrasco's a baby either. This guy's been, you know, Carrasco's been around for a while. So he's 28 um, and they could probably get a nice return for him. What do you think about them possibly moving Carrasco? And then, like I said, I know you wanted to talk about him on the fantasy landscape as well. Um, we can either save that for when we talk about the SP ranks or you can get into it now. Well, you know, 
I'm right now in a rebuild, and I and I hate rebuilding, and I usually trade away prospects. And I wrote about that on Monday or on Tuesday about you know just how certain uh, t- leagues actually I think you may you actually do need to rebuild like kind of hard because mm-hmm. the deeper the league is and the more the prospects are owned, the less the less upside you're getting with the guys that you sort of pick from the droppings, you know? Absolutely. And, and it's just harder. It gets harder and harder to find uh, bounce back guys. And, and it, it gets harder and harder to find undervalued guys. So, you know, I, I am very tempted right now uh, to trade Carrasco on one of the, the best offers. Um, you know, the best offers are led by, you know, top 30 uh, middle infield prospects. And um, some of them aren't that close, but I'm considering doing almost like a Barreto type thing where I, you know, hold them for a little bit and then, uh, and as I rebuild, pump their value and then, you know, hopefully can get somebody like Carrasco or better for them later. And, you know, Carrasco's not really helping me right now. And then, and then on top of that, I, I have to sort of confront this fact that I'm, that I'm not as in love with Carrasco as I feel like I should be. And, and I don't know why it is. I mean, uh, it could be that his home run rates have been pretty high, like his whole career. Mm-hmm. And uh, it could be that he seems to hang things uh, every once in a while. There's some inconsistency there. I know his walk numbers aren't great, but I never thought his command was good. And at some point, his command seemed to be so bad that people thought he wouldn't make it. Um I'm worried about this velocity boost that he's got at uh, 28 years old. Uh, even coming out of that, um, you know, that operation, I'm just wondering how it's going, how long it's going to hold, and what he's going to look like when he goes back down to 92, 93. You know, what it's going to look like when he doesn't have the same command. And I know he has these three pitches that do well, and especially that he's the kind of guy. Like, you know, I, I was so happy to have found Carrasco early on. And I have profited off of him a lot because I spotted the fact that he has three really good pitches. But, you know, you know, so that's why I feel like I should love him. But I, sure. I, I'm really kind of interested. Do you think he's an ace? No, I don't because, you know, I look at some of the, the issues that he's had this year and um, he kind of got a little bit of a free pass because uh, Cleveland had that wretched defense. And so, you know, I think uh, – people were saying, you know, hey, it's not his fault because they saw Kluber and it wasn't really Kluber's fault. And they saw all those pitchers kind of taking some of that heat from the defense. But when when you're looking at Carrasco, yeah, you can put some of it on that, but some of it was his own doing. He, the 394 is a bit of his of his own doing because of inconsistency. We've still seen the flashes of brilliance and the skills have been there that were there last year for Carlos Carrasco. But some of the struggles here that have him with an elevated ERA, much higher than it should be with these skills is his own fault. And so, no, when you're an ace, I mean, you kind of can't have that sort of inconsistency hanging overhead. And you certainly, you know, for me to really say flat out fantasy ace, I got to have at least one, one full season on the ledger uh, of that kind of greatness. I mean, what spurred him last year was a 10 start run and it was an amazing 10 starts for Carrasco, but that's 10 starts. And so Also, also on the, uh, sort of tail end of a bullpen experience, uh, which, you know, kept his velocity high. And I was a little bit worried about what he would look like with lesser velocity. And this year, it is down a little bit, um, but he's been pretty good. So, I, you know, I, 
I don't know if I'm just trying to talk myself into trading him away, but um, you know, in general, um, I don't. I don't blame you though. Listen, I don't like getting stuck with too many pitchers. Keep you know ma- making them my main focus. This is a dynasty league that you're in, though. Yeah. So yeah, obviously you're you're, you're keeping everybody, but no, I I don't blame you. I really don't. I I still think that you could get something substantial for him. I do like Carrasco, but again, I don't have him as an ace. And I think that you could still strike, uh, you know, make sure you're striking the perception uh, from 404 ERA to a 394 is nothing. But the perception of your trade partner looking at it and seeing the four as the first number, as opposed to the three, I think makes a huge difference. So make sure you're trading him while he's lingering below four, which he currently is. By the way, I got that name, uh, the the return for Aramis Ramirez. It's uh, Jonathan Berrios. It's Jonathan uh, with a Y at the beginning, YH, is that still a J sound or is it Jonathan? I honestly don't know. But he is a former uh, fielder, shortstop, and third baseman who has now converted to pitching. So uh, 23-year-old who's you know got a, got some decent surface numbers this year, 268 ERA, but skills aren't quite there. Just a lottery ticket. That's what happens when you got a 37-year-old rental going the other way uh, as it was with – Aramis Ramirez. By the way, if who do you think would be a good fit for Carrasco? For, let's let's talk about it for you specifically. Let's let's be greedy. And you're saying you're trying to trade him. What would be the ideal fit where you think the price that you could ask would go up exponentially? Um. <clears throat> Is the oh yeah. Answer I, always just the Dodgers. Yeah, I mean, I think the National League in general, and in, in this case, I think um, even to a lesser park in the National League, but. Um, Trying to right now to think of buyers in the National League. I mean, like, obviously, if San Francisco could put together a cap package, but I doubt they oh, could. Oh, God, I would die. I mean, that would be so great. I, I, I think he would take off. Yeah, he'd be pretty amazing. I'd look pretty silly if he did that. But uh, <laughs> Well, the, yeah, so don't, don't do that. Well, you, you know, if, but unless, it, you, the unless big you get that knockdown like over. Pronto and, and, you know, that could uh, actually scuttle my uh, trade value on him pretty quickly. Um, so, well, Matt, we're at, you know, right now the biggest rumored place destination for Carrasco is, is Toronto. So, you know, if he went there, that would scuttle his trade value pretty quickly in this, in the middle of this deal. But I'm also trying to combine him with Upton and the you know, other guy wants to know if Upton is healthy and I'm waiting on news for that. So, you know, it's, you know, I, I just hate rebuilding and I hate trading for prospects. I hate trading for 18 year olds and a ball. But maybe I should take a, a cue from Billy Bean and say, you know what, these guys have value, maybe even not as major leaguers. And, you know, right now I'm not winning, so I need to, I need to, you know, trade and I need to do just like the major league teams do. So anyway, that's uh, and maybe I need to do it before Carrasco is a Blue Jay. So we'll, we'll that, see what we'll see what I do. Yeah, they're going the Blue Jays are going for a lot of of good pitchers, which uh, is nerve wracking. Like you, you get it. Obviously, they need them. And uh, having that offensive support would help. And actually, the bullpen hasn't been too bad. But getting in that park and the AL East makes it scary for guys like Carrasco and Samarja, et cetera. Um, let's, let's move on and talk about some more of these afternoon games here today. Ubaldo Jimenez was, was crushed again. That's back-to-back uh, terrible outings against Detroit and New York. You know, not too much shame there with regards to the teams that are beating him. But... You know, uh, he's been somebody, Ubaldo Jimenez has been, that everyone's kind of been nervous about to begin with. So anytime he gets crushed, it seems to be an overreaction compared to, you know, when somebody else gets crushed, just a run-of-the-mill crushing from a, from somebody who's pitching well. 
where are you at with Ubaldo? I know we've taken the temperature on him a couple different times this year, but now after two obliterations, his ERA is up to 381. Um, the walk rate's still all right. It's below three, which is very rare for, for Ubaldo Jimenez. So there's still some decent factors here. He's just under a strikeout per inning with 105 in his 106 and one-third innings. Where are you at with him? Are you uh, cold after these two starts, unchanged, never liked him to begin with? Where are you at? Well, you know, to your credit, you liked him a little better than I did. And, uh, you know, you liked him a little worse than I did. You've uh, always not liked him. It was difficult to give him any measure of credit, but he kept kept doing, you know, the walk rate kept. I, I, I started to get at least a little on board and say, okay, I get it. He's capable, but no, I could never really get on the full he's back sort of train. The one thing I will say is that I do think, and even in the games where he's been crushed, um, I do think that going to the sinker primarily has been good for him. Like, I think that he has more command of it. But I do also think that at the same time that this stuff is going on with, uh, you know, advanced control or whatever uh, due to his um, sinker usage, that his other stuff is really falling apart and he's become a two-pitch pitcher. And if you look at, you know, what he, you know, his pitching mets, mix um, or as, as the season has gone on, he's throwing fewer and fewer uh, sliders and breaking balls. Now, you know, of all the pitches, uh, a, a splitter is probably one of the better ones if you're going to be a two-pitch pitcher because it has negligible platoon splits and it, it's just really hard for anybody to hit. At the same time, you know, going from, you know, throwing your breaking balls, you know, 25% of the time to, you know, down to 8% against Detroit uh, <sighs> seems significant to me. And I don't know if it if it's predictive of injury um, that he, you know, maybe his elbow isn't feeling good and, and that's why he's not throwing those sliders um, or if he just doesn't trust his, his uh, breaking stuff as much anymore. You know, he's not, he's not getting the same whiffs that he got when he was really good. He's, it's gone up a little bit, but it's not quite uh, to where it was before. And, you know, I think in cases like this, when it's a super veteran pitcher, the best thing to do is probably to fall back on projections. I mean, it, it's it's a little bit lazy, and there is a little bit of a chance that he'll beat his his walk rate projections, and so maybe you can shave off, Some you know, whip. a little bit of whip, uh, maybe a little bit of ERA. But I wouldn't go too far because I mean, yeah. And this is what I was thinking about also because I've been doing this research on new pitches and improved pitches, and I looked at, you know. Uh, the most improved pitches of the first half. And there's one guy who I, I wrote about for tomorrow um, who who improved a pitch and has been a lot better because of it. But then they were on that same list, and then and Sonny Gray did too because he improved his slider and he's better for it. Oh, yeah. Then on the rest of the list, it was a bunch of guys that, you know, you're kind of like, well, what happened, man? Nate Evaldi, you improved that changeup. It's way better. You get 15% whiffs on that splitter. What's going on? You're the same guy. Jimmy Nelson. You, you now have a curveball that gets 14% whiffs. That's pretty good. Why are you the same guy? So it's like, you know, it, it, on some level, you could say ignore the per-pitch stuff and you know, these guys have a true talent. And yet we do know that people, you know, you know improve pitches and improve because of it. So, you know, it, it's sort of nascent theory. Pitch effects haven't been around that long, first of all. 
And then the idea of really separating a, a player, a pitcher into his component pitches has, you know, has been around even less time. So um, I don't, I don't, in Ubaldo's, I think the older a guy is, the more I'm likely to be like, eh, it's still Ubaldo Jimenez. That's the thing. And, and now he's pretty close to kind of finding that level of those projections that you mentioned. Zips has him for a 399 the rest of the way. I mentioned he's already up to 388. So that was, you know, they're just, these two crushings obviously added a bunch. A lot, to, because he was 329 going into the day. He was 281 before the first crushing. He's added a run just in two starts. Wow. He's also had some weird um, scheduling bad luck, uh, too. I think eight of his last ten have been on the road. And he's been fantastic at home in Camden Yards this year. 206 ERA, a .94 whip, and a 6.7 strikeout-to-walk ratio for Ubaldo in 48 innings at Camden Yards. And like I said, just this weird run here where he happens to be on the road for 8 of 10. So hopefully that turns for him. Uh, that alone should should help him pick up. But, you know, gets crushed twice against quality teams. That, that's just that, that's the hammer that I was always waiting uh to drop with Ubaldo Jimenez, and that's why I was afraid, and I had a hard time buying in. What after these two starts now? Would you cut him in a twelve-team mixed league? Would, would you be fine cutting him, or would you only try to trade him if you were going to move off? Oh, he's, I think he's cuttable in a mixed league. The, the question for me was always like how much you could trust him in deeper leagues, and and um, should you even try to acquire him uh, in in sort of AL only and stuff like that? I don't yeah. think. Even though I liked him, I never uh, really thought of him as someone you would depend on on a staff. And I don't no. have shares of him in any 12-team leagues. You, you, you certainly weren't beating the drum of go out and get him. Uh, his opponent in that game was, was Masahiro Tanaka, who you know pitched well. Um, the, the, it's hard to really get angry uh, at, at what he did there. But I am a little bit alarmed by the fact that the only three runs that he gave up were all solo shots. And home runs have really kind of been that one – big difference in Tanaka this year from last year. And home runs were actually present last year. It's just that they were pretty much all solo shots. Uh, it was like clockwork. He seemed to always, you know, he could be rolling. Tanaka's retired 19 in a row. Boom, solo shot, Jonathan Scope. It was always some random, too, it seemed. Not that Scope's that random, but I guess, you know, he bats like bottom third of the order. Uh, he's not amazing. And so this is the third game that Tanaka's allowed three homers in. That's not so good. That's a little bit worrisome. But I got to get a temperature check on him, too, because he's been kind of up and down this year. I had, had the DL stint. But by and large, bottom line, it's been pretty good. It hasn't been a repeat of last year for Tanaka, but he's got a 364 ERA, plenty of strikeouts uh, in his work. I don't have the exact number. Actually, now I do 81 and 81 and two-thirds, so just under that strikeout per inning and a .98 whip. So when you have a whip that low and an ERA that high, that tells you that something's usually askew, and it is the homers here. That's why the ERA is higher. By and large, though, he's been good. Where are you at on Masahiro Tanaka right now as we head into the home stretch? He's got a he's got a really inconsistent breaking ball. And, you know, it's looked like a cement mixer at times. You'll see it just, you you can actually see the spin on it when you really want, you know, a slider to be tight. And, um, you know, it's even worse. I mean, duh, it's even worse when they slow it down. But sometimes you'll see it slowing down and you'll be like, wow, that just looks like it's floating up there. They actually had a bunch of those today. And, and they, they showed a lot of those in slow motion. And there were some that they were calling a baby slider because they weren't 
uh, doing too much, and then there were others that were devastating that just fell off the table. So the, you're, it's anecdotal of just one day and actually just two innings that I watched while I was eating lunch. But it, but you know what you're saying definitely checked out at least from the sample that I got, albeit a tiny one. Well, he's throwing something uh, a cutter, um, you know, somewhere around 10% of the time, and some people call the cutter a baby slider. So there you go. Uh, you know, that might be what they're referring to in terms of, you know, home run outcomes. Um, it's not as simple as saying that the uh, baby slider doesn't do well, because the, uh, if, if they were referring to the cutter, because the cutter actually hasn't given up a home run by Brooks. But uh, the slider and the curve um, are responsible for most of his non-sinker, um, uh, you know, home runs. And I think really he should just go away from the sinker because, he doesn't get a ton more ground balls off the sinker. It's something that he uh, talked about using more this year. And so it's not a pitch he's been throwing his whole career. And I think it ha- he has inconsistent command of it. And it's uh, it basically, he doesn't throw the curve a lot, but it gives up the most homers. And then the slider and the sinker are next. So um, if he went four-seam, you know, cutter split, in terms of home runs allowed, that would be his best, his best, um, you know, trio. Could you, you know. tell him to do that? I really need him to be <laughs> kind of prime level Tanaka for these last couple months here. Somebody asked me if I thought that, you know, these few healthy months uh, changed my opinion of his health going forward. And I mean, I guess on some level it has to. I don't want to be a victim to recency bias, but at the same time, you know, at least he's showing the ability to, to uh, retain velocity. Certainly. And, uh, and you know. I'm encouraged, kind of, but yeah. I don't think we're out of the woods. At all. I, you know, here's the thing with him right now. He's even regained some philosophy, uh, velocity since since he came back from that second. Um, from that the DL first, stint? Yeah, the second DL stint, stint. He's actually been where he was last year or, or a little bit above even. Now, the, the, the thing with him in terms of the health risk is that it's just at a point where if, if at any point we hear that, okay, it popped, he's, he's going under, no one's going to be surprised. So I think it's, it's always going to be there. But again, I kind of go back to what I was going to uh, with some guys that, uh, in the preseason this year, it's kind of there with everybody, even though it's not pronounced. And we talked about it, you know, how partial is, a, is his partial tear? How many guys have partial hey. tears? We don't know that. Noah Syndergaard was shut down, I think, uh, twice in the minor leagues for forearm stiffness, uh, which for some is uh, a minor strain, which mm-hmm. is, uh, you know, basically a minor a minor tear, um, which is, you know, not very far from having a, a, a minor partial tear, tear a partial UCL tear. So uh, if you've ever seen forearm stiffness attached to whatever pitcher you're talking about, it may not be very far from what Tanaka is, is, is dealing with right now. So that, I think that's a great point. I'd have to say that the risk is a little bit higher. I might treat him a little bit like I did you Darvish, which was, I always thought you Darvish was going to get surgery. I always thought that's it was just point. a question of when, because he was a high strikeout guy. He had worse command than Tanaka, uh, oh, but yeah. he threw tons of breaking balls. I mean, he was he had like three or four different kinds of sliders and curves. So um, he just sort of fit all the boxes of you know in- inconsistent mechanics, inconsistent command, tons of breaking balls, high velocity, um, you know, lots of pitches. I mean, that's really every box you can you can tick. So you know, Tanaka doesn't quite tick all those boxes, but he ticks the you know partially torn ligament box pretty hard 
so I, I, I he filled like, the whole box in. He didn't even just check it. He <laughs> colored it all in. He thought it was a scantron, I guess. Uh, but like I, I would treat him like a Darvish, where uh, sure I'll I'll buy him for the year, um, and, uh, and and just kind of play it case by case there, uh, or yeah. year year by year really with Tanaka. He 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 wound up 29th in the SP ranks, the midseason ones. Pretty wide, high, pretty wide, yeah, with the high. Yeah. High of 23 from Jeff, uh, 25 from me, 30 from Zach, and then 39 from Dan. So that tells you basically uh, – I, I think that's just simply risk. Now, we all agree that the talent is pretty solid, and then it's just how much of the risk you want to take. Jeff and I are a little bit more comfortable with it. Uh, Zach, not so much. And then Dan, m- most. You know, 39th is uh, getting into a territory there where his talent is well beyond that. But if you're afraid of the risk – I get it. Uh, I'm I'm a little bit more accepting of risk, but it's all about risk tolerance. That's why this game's so fun. We all have different levels of of risk tolerance that we'll take on. I think even on a per IP basis, he ended up in a decent spot because with that inconsistent breaking ball, it's not like every he. It's not. I would say that you Darvish's package is better overall. You know, in terms of the pitches he throws and and the velocity and you know if we're talking about both of them are healthy and on the mound if you know if you had them facing each other which one would you take i'd take you darvish because and you even said so <laughs> I, I love you darvish when, when when tanaka came over he said something like i'm better uh but um it, i think that's because the the slider's inconsistent and the the curve is not so great and you look at you can see it in the results in terms of his home run rate i don't know if we can totally believe it but 200 innings in he's over one he's in a homer park uh, mm-hmm. you know, that's going to probably lead to a little bit higher. Um, you know, Zips has him three seven four, Steamer three two. I would I would give him like a three five plus going forward, and that uh, that means that even on a per inning uh, innings pitch basis, I don't think he's quite an ace. That's fair. That's completely fair, and I don't I don't think anybody's rankings even uh, Zach's at at twenty three as the hot or Jeff's excuse me uh, yeah. puts him in that category. So I think uh, the Rotographs crew is in uh, lockstep with you there. Let's talk about an interesting injury yesterday. It was interesting only because it was weird. You just don't usually see it that way. Um, although swings can can be dangerous, especially when you don't hit the ball. Yunel Escobar took a took a big hack at a pitch yesterday. I think it was against uh, Syndergaard, and really appeared to have hurt his wrist. Uh, just wins let go of the bat it wasn't good took a few drive swings there tried to get back in fouled the ball off and then walked off I was like nope 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 that was not good so he's going to be out and I bring him up because he's actually been pretty darn good this year I mean imagine where Washington would be if Yunel Escobar and Danny Espinosa hadn't stepped up the way they have uh, to kind of cover the fact that Rendon has played you know virtually not at all this year and Desmond has been hot garbage um you know escobar has a 785 ops the 321 average is really driving his fantasy value five bombs 30 ribbies 44 runs just one steal and three attempts so it's not really anything there except for the fact that he plays a lot of positions i believe he still qualifies at shortstop yeah he was there all year last year so he you know escobar is a qualified shortstop who's hitting over 300 as a full-time player that was huge especially because of shortstop and now it looks like they're going to be without him. Where were you on, on Escobar, and uh, how bad is this injury for the uh, Nats? Did they have to go out and look for uh, somebody now? I think it looked pretty bad. I agree with you. I saw it, and um, it looked like he was trying to he was going to swing and trying to hold up and then also trying to avoid being hit by the ball, which exactly. uh, I think probably – I don't know if uh, he has his handmaid still. or It did look like that kind of thing where – uh, I wouldn't be surprised at all if his his handmate was broken because 
it's right there in the wrist where the in the bat is, and it's it really could have been really hurt by you know the action of having the bat momentum going forward and trying to stop that momentum while also getting out of the way. That that I think that's what I would guess. I mean, I, it wouldn't make much sense if it was like a bruise that he would That'd act that weird. way on the swing afterwards. Yeah. And uh, the only other option is that he sprained a ligament, which is also pretty bad. Yeah. Um, and, and probably at least two weeks. So I think um, I think the winner is I Espinoza, maybe, um, you know, who's been playing uh, fairly regularly anyway. But um, this uh, this might make him a, a regular player, even um, even with the Rendon return or something. And or when Zimmer, you know, Zimmerman and Rendon are both on their way back. And, and it yeah. looked like uh, Espinoza could be the odd man out there. So, yeah, I agree with you. We haven't gotten an official word. That's why I didn't say exactly what happened to Escobar. He's out of the lineup for Thursday, of course. But uh, no, no information yet on exactly what the injury is. I think you're probably uh, spot on there with regards to Hamates. Uh, that that seems to be a relatively frequent occurrence there, and it looks like something that could be the case with you now. We'll definitely update once we got more there. And uh, for what it's worth, Espinoza, I think, is a if he's out there uh, because of inconsistent playing time, or whatever, um, and like you know some recent injuries issues himself, um, is a good pickup. I, I think agree. Really do what he's doing. I don't really see a lot of risk. He's had a couple bad Babbitt years, but you know, for whatever reason, this is a is a decent one. Um, sometimes the strikeout rate is a lot worse, and so you. But even if you look at the projections, um, you know, I, I will take the over on that walk rate because um, I've always believed he had decent patience, and and uh, so I, I think he can do like a two forty. Uh, batting average and a 310 on base percentage uh, going forward and uh, over 400 slugging. So that's uh, pretty much his career line. And, so, and, and solid team uh, contacts gives you good runs and RBIs, especially yeah. if he's batting higher in the order. Uh, but I, I don't think he consistent. I think he kind of shifts around the lineup. Yeah, I'm looking at it now. Uh, second for 18 games. Sixth for 11, seventh for 19, and then eighth for 26. So he kind of bounce, Espinosa bounces around the lineup. It's it's because of the, he's better against one or the other. I forget. I think he's he's uh, better against lefties. Um, and there's been talk about him. Yeah, he's a oh, second yeah, he, WRC plus against righties. So you know he, he almost the gave kind it of up, didn't he? What's that? Didn't he almost give up switch hitting? Like he was yeah. practicing doing it in the in the uh, spring training, and then said nah well he in this database has versus righties as a righty uh 16 pa so uh i think that might have been injury related at some point i forget when that happened Um, okay but he's done that he's definitely he's definitely flirted with it uh you know he's been better this year and uh, let's see what his uh wrc plus is uh this year against righties this year he has a 100. So, I mean, he's he's definitely worse against righties. You you, you definitely want to kind of hang with him against lefties. DFS lefty against yep. lefties. Um, you know, good guy, good H to H guy to have on your bench. Plug in against lefties. Plug in for extra at bats sometimes against weaker righties. That sort of. And thing. if you've got shortstop eligibility, um, it, only 12 games there last year for Espinosa and five this year. So some leagues will have the eligibility that obviously bumps his value as well. 
All right, you know, uh, next guy I want to talk about is Chris Tillman. He, he was requested by a couple of uh, Twitter folks. They, we haven't spoken about him in a while. I've been a Chris Tillman guy in the past. Um, I had jumped off the boat this year because that that's that ship had sunk. I jumped off of it when we were already at the bottom of the ocean, so I had to swim back <laughs> up, um, and it was it was tough. It was rough. Uh, no, he he was you know Tillman was was absolutely brutal. I mean, honestly, up until very recently, he was unbelievably bad. I figured he would get better, but not on a level that uh, I thought was all that worthwhile because it was just so bad, just kind of leave him alone. Well, over his last four starts, he's been pretty good. Three really good ones, and then a fourth where he kind of dodged raindrops, 10 hits and a walk in four and two-thirds, and he was only able, he was able to get out of there with just giving up two runs, uh, so, so that keeps the ERA down. So a 140 ERA in 25 and two-thirds innings with a uh, with 24 strikeouts and an 8.0 strikeout-to-walk ratio, not to mention a solid 1.01 whip. So four great starts, uh, excuse me, a, a, a set of four starts. Uh, really nice for Tillman. Some decent opponents in there, Washington and the Tigers. What do you make of him? Like I said, I'm a, I'm a one-time believer. I could dip my toe back in for AL only, but that's kind of – where I'm at right now, I would need to see more than just these four after 14 god-awful ones. He had a 622 ERA coming into that little four-start run. So where are you at on Chris Tillman for Baltimore? You know, he's – I think there's two two things going on for him is that he's a real – he's a guy who needs called strikes because I think he's got that big old yacker that you can kind of see coming. And he really needs to have first get you in a position where either you have to swing at it because – uh, it looks like it's going to be a strike and, you know, you've got two strikes on you or something. Or uh, if you don't uh, swing at it, it's, um, you know, it's going to be a uh, it's going to be a called strike. So, you know, one thing I do see very quickly when looking at his game log is that recently he's gotten people to reach more. Okay. Uh, and I think that suggests uh, also his first strike percentage has gone up. So I think that just means he's been in better counts. Um, and, uh, he's done a better job of, you know, getting to those counts so that he could use the, the right pitch mix and stuff like that. So I, I think on some, to some extent, that's possibly sustainable. Uh, he's also been using the changeup a lot more recently, uh, which is not necessarily his best pitch. Uh, but if people are sitting curveball, um, you know, that, that could be, you know, the wrinkle that he's doing. I mean, if you look at James Shields, James Shields' best pitch is the changeup, but right now he ranks higher uh, when you look at curveball swing strike rates because than he does on the changeup swing strike rate list because people are sort of sitting on the changeup and he's surprising them with the knuckle curve. So uh, to some extent, I think that's what's going on with Tillman is that he's surprising people with the changeup, uh, focusing on strike one and uh, getting the most out of what he has, which is, I think, you know, kind of league averages package, league average type package. Absolutely. And and, and the interesting thing about uh, Tillman, you know, the ERA is kind of bouncing all over the place these last uh, four seasons. You know, he kind of had that half season in 2012 and then the two solid campaigns in 2013, 2014. ERA has been bouncing all over the joint uh, as low as 293, as high as 496 currently. But. If you look at the FIP, it's been pretty steady as a low fours guy, which is about league average. So to your point, I think it can be about league average the rest of the way. I, 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 
man, when I watch him, sometimes I still feel like there's another level to where maybe he could uh, put the skills up to sustain, you know, sort of that uh, 350 ERA that he put up for the two years prior to this season for Chris Tillman. I feel like it, but then the inconsistency just smacks me right in the face and says, no, he can't. He's just going to go, you know, too far, doesn't miss enough bats. So, yeah, basically kind of league average until he shows me otherwise. But not not a bad run here. And, yeah, AL only, deep mixed if you need an arm, sure. But mixed leagues right now, 10, 12 teamers, I'm not seeing it. Are you with Chris Tillman? Yeah, he's always been a tough, uh, tough guy for me there. And, you know. Maybe I'd do a little um, away package with him in DFS or, you know, stream stream him away uh, just based on the fact that he uh, has a little homeritis at times. Um, and it's just not a great fit for uh, for his park. So That's true. I had, uh, um, I had Tillman for a pretty bad outing. I want to say it was against Tampa Bay and DFS, and they, he, they just lit him up. And I'm like, geez, really? Uh, Tampa mm-hmm. Bay? You know, because a big part of uh, his issue to start the season for Tillman was that Toronto was just crushing him. He's got three starts against Toronto this year, and he's allowed seven, seven, and six earned runs. Actually, he's got four starts against them, another one where he allowed five. So that's pretty unbelievably bad 25 of his 54 earned runs have come against toronto and they're i mean they're they're a great offense he's an otherwise fairly usable i mean the only other blow-ups were boston which is a big offense and then the only one if you just followed the don't play him against big offenses uh the only burn you'd have is the tampa ray uh tampa bay game you were mentioning and then uh, I don't know how what your opinion on the Yankees, but uh, that might be an offense you uh, would in play. Yankee Stadium. I would have said no, so I feel like you could have avoided that one if you were streaming him properly. Yeah, so, so and the only the Boston one he actually paired, even though that was a bad outing, he paired it with a good one earlier in the season. So you know, playing against the Phillies, you only get three strikeouts, three earned runs, uh, six innings. Uh, playing against the Indians, you get six strikeouts, no walks, no runs in seven innings. Play even against the Nationals, uh, you, you get uh, two earned runs. So, you know, I but I the big thing for me is strikeout minus walks. Sure. In general, that's the best in season predictor. And if you look at early season, uh, he was basically one to one for a long time. And then if you look at his last five starts, uh, he stopped walking people. And even though strikeouts are up a little bit. You know, it's the most the thing that really pops out is that he has three walks in his last five starts. Three twenty five ERA against non Toronto opponents for Chris Tillman. Yeah, that's, that's impressive. The fact is though, he hasn't left that division, so they might creep <laughs> up again <laughs> on, on the schedule. And you better, you know, everyone knows Toronto kills lefties and Tillman's a righty, but they also have his number. So do not play him against them. I do want to stick in that division and with the team I just mentioned, Toronto. We'll wrap up here before we talk about uh, the, the SP ranks. Uh, R.A. Dickey tried to go the distance today. He managed eight and two thirds, excuse me, eight and one third, uh, two runs, five hits, one walk, six strikeouts. He's kind of rolling of late. And again, this was a guy who coming into the year, I liked him for a very specific value. He's going to give me some innings. I have him in two head to head leagues. That's where I think R.A. Dickey's value is the best. Just take almost, you know, guaranteed innings of usefulness. I didn't think he was going to be great, but I thought even the 421 ERA of 2013 would have been fine. Well, it had been pretty brutal until very recently. I mean, he he was carrying a 5 ERA as late as June 13th uh, for Dickey. But 
like I said, he's on a bit of a big run right now. Only one clunker within his last 10. And uh, I don't have today's today's numbers added in, but a 349 in the first nine. And then you add on eight and a third, two runs here. Dickey's kind of finding his form, but I know with that knuckleball, it makes it really inconsistent and scary. Where are you at with R.A. Dickey right now after the wretched start? Yeah. I mean, you know what's interesting is that his whiff rate is right there in line with what he's done as a Blue Jay, and his strikeout rate's a full, you know, strikeout per nine lower. And, you know, I don't, I did want to talk to him yesterday, but he's struggling, and we shook hands and said hello uh, cordially, but it didn't seem like he really wanted to talk to me. So, you know, if a guy's struggling and he doesn't want to talk to you, it's not like it's going to be a hits monster anyway. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, I, I, I just see it as been fairly easy to spot and it doesn't you don't normally think of velocity being a big deal for for knuckles knuckleballers but you know he really has a nice hard knuckler that yeah that was his point, separator that's what made yeah, it different he could throw it 80 at some point and um, that was when he was with the Mets those two good years now it's the you know the average is is a full two runs lower than it was with the Mets and uh you know, I would like to talk to him about, you know, a, a, a dome. And, you know, if because he, he told me he didn't think that the dome um, was going to be a problem for him. But if you look at his splits home and away, um, his home run per fly ball rate in Toronto is bad. I, I, I believe it. I mean, that, that was the big concern. There was a lot written about how, how would this affect him uh, for this Dickey. Is, the, here's his, here his home run per fly ball rates in, uh, in New York home. 4.5, 7.2, 10.9. So you average that all together, you get 8 or 9%, which is, you know, the league average is 10. So mm-hmm. league average. Uh, he moves to Toronto, 16.8, 14.8, 12.5. Those are so, monstrous. Yeah, so those homers are leaving. And I tried to do research that connected knuckler, knuckle uh, ballers to uh, high home run rates and high home run for fly ball rates, and I couldn't actually do it. So I'm not necessarily sure because people say oh well what if it doesn't break then it's just a meatball well what if your slider doesn't break then it's just a meatball exactly what if you hang that change up yeah you know to anthony rizzo it's a meatball and he's going to send it 512 feet the other way so yeah i guess Um, maybe you might be a little bit more susceptible because nobody throws their slider 80 percent of the time but i mean that's happening more and more in baseball anyway um and uh even you know cutters can slip out of your hand and stuff like that so uh i I I think he's okay. I would play him away from home. That's fair. That's fair. And, you know, I still think head-to-head is the best way to deploy him where you can get the points. If it's points leagues with Dickey and they tend to overvalue innings a little bit, he, he goes deep. I mean, uh, and even – And he admitted he can he – can, throw when he's hurt so yeah even with this with this otherwise pretty poor season that he's had uh he's gone five innings in all but one start he's gone six innings in 15 of his 20 starts so you've got to like that from Dickie. there is still a modicum of value here in the right format that's for sure let's move on talk a little bit about the the sp ranks unfortunately with the move and everything you weren't able to participate in them but the fact is we added Dan uh, Schwartz to this set, so we still had a nice uh, four-pack there that we, were, that we were working with of guys with myself, Zach, Jeff, and Dan. And we came out with the rankings. We talked about them a little bit earlier when we were mentioning Tanaka's ranking, Carrasco's ranking. What struck you when you first looked at the rankings? Well, one guy that people have been asking me about a little bit is Garrett Richards. And it is interesting that um, 
you know, first of all, he he I think he retained his value pretty well in your in your rankings. I mean, uh, 27 for him, um, you know, and and fairly tight, you know, just from 29 to 24. Yeah. So people people uh, felt like he was a, a fancy number two and um, and that he would kind of stay there. You know, the, the strikeout rate going down is kind of weird because he still has a almost 11 percent swing strike rate that he had last year. And the velocity hasn't really gone away. It's gone down a little bit. Uh, and the pitching mix is about the same. So I, I don't exactly know what it is. I guess the, you know, the easy answer would be that he's gone for the grounder a little bit more. Um, and the ground ball rate is the highest of his career, so or the second highest. So, um, you know, up a little bit from last year, you know, just go for the quick outs a little bit. That's all I can come up with. I, I would... I would think that they would go the, the strikeout rate would go up just given the swinging strike rates and the stuff. Uh, I don't really see a reason for him to, you know, change that much. The, the, the interesting thing about Garrett Richards is I was lowest on him yet. I consider myself someone who still believes in him for the rest of the season. I think it can be better than what we've seen. Uh, I know you, you know, you mentioned the strikeout rate there. It did come down from that career high 24% mark last year to 18% so far. Might not get all the way back up to 24%, but if he's in that, you know, 21, 23% range, that's a nice little little boost there, especially if you can keep the ground ball rate up at 53% uh, for Richard. So, yeah, I, I feel like we've kind of gotten through. I wouldn't say that what he's done so far is a worst-case scenario. I think that's greatly overstating it. But this is in one of the lower percentiles of his outcomes here. And it's still been pretty good. So I'm excited that that he can definitely get better the rest of the season. Uh, so Garrett Richards is somebody I would have no problem investing in. What about Gio yeah. Gonzalez? You mentioned him as someone that uh, that caught your eye and, and that you wanted to kind of talk about a little bit. He's having, a, you know, an OK season, but not not necessarily killing it for the Nats. Yeah, you know, somebody asked me if in a 12 team mixer they should trade um, Blake Swihart and, and Matt Wisler for Gio Gonzalez. And my first impression was basically that, well, I don't think that much of uh, Swihart and, and Whistler in a 12-teamer, uh, just because there is no such thing as a catching prospect. And uh, Whistler's been okay, but not not great. Uh, but I did, I did mention in the saying that that seems okay to me, that uh, this is okay, even if it's the tail end of Gio's career. And the guy said, well, he's not even 30 yet. And I said, what? Uh, so, uh, yeah, Gio Gonzalez is 29 years old. And at the same time, he's been around forever because he's been traded a million times. A million and, times, exactly. And we, and we knew him as a Philly and a White Sox and an A. And, and, uh, and we knew him when he you know, walked the ballpark and was terrible. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, that's probably coming, you know, everybody's, I always talk about the bell shape of everyone's career that, you know, that those days are coming again. He's going to start walking people again, but, um, uh, 29 years old surprised me. Uh, one thing is he's gone to the sinker. So he's, he's, you know, he's gone to the sinker more. And so he's gone to the ground ball instead of the, um, uh, instead of the strikeout. And that's been good for his home run rates. Um, uh, has not been good uh, because the defense behind him has not been good. It's not been good for his ERA or his BABIP necessarily. Yeah, and, then and the other, that's his whip. Yeah, and that's his whip. And then the, 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 fl the flip side of that also is that uh, he showed up on the last MASH report um, as being a leader 
in pain. Um, and uh, pain is based on the four-factor uh, Josh Kalk injury zone stuff. A, a little bit um, dumbed down, I guess that you would say, just basically based on uh, velocity and zone percentage and pitches. Okay. Um, and Gio Gonzalez's velocity over the last month is down a full tick on the gun, uh, and his zone percentage is down 7%. So that suggests that something's not quite right. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think he's necessarily, you know, a great guy to trade for. But on the other side, I don't think he's uh, also a guy that uh, you drop. Uh, no, I wouldn't drop if you want to move on the news that you just gave of a potential injury, I feel like you can trade him. You're not going to get the moon back or anything like that, but you should be able to get a, a, a substantial you know, piece for him, just a, a, a quality, what, third outfielder type or something like that uh, in return for him in a mixed league. Or is that, that, that seems reasonable, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a, a piece that, a piece you could like a starter, but not not anyone's best piece at any, at any position. No, um, no, no. Like a mid or a corner, you know, like, solid solid yeah, version like of a, that. Yeah, corner infield. If somebody has like two third basemen, you know, uh, and you need one, uh, you know, go looking for that guy. Uh, maybe you can combine him or something. You know, um, I, I do think that the pitching mix change plus the pain ranking. Um, makes me a little worried about him. That's that's just re- the reason I, I spotlighted him. It's not like you guys, uh, dra- uh, you know, put him in a real high spot. Uh, but uh, considering he's only two spots behind Noah Syndergaard, mm-hmm. um, who I think you know spits straight fire, and so is you know one of the best pitchers in the game right now, and just started throwing a ninety mile an hour slider yesterday. Um, because that's fair. Uh- yeah, yeah, right. Because he needed another weapon. So. I've got Syndergaard 36, and it, it it's all about innings for me. But we were talking a little bit off air, and there is a certain threshold where if you're so good in the innings you do have, it doesn't really matter that you're going to be limited uh, by some because we also still don't know how many. So I admit that it's I, I'm a, I played a little bit more on the conservative side on pure skill. There's no way I would have Syndergaard 36. No way. If I if I had been somehow given a guarantee that he's going to pitch the rest of the season or at least not be um, artificially shut down, then I, I would have had him at least 10 spots higher, if not several more. So I agree with you there. But what what is first off, what are your expectations for Syndergaard for innings the rest of the year? Do you, do you have a guess, uh, any estimation that you're kind of working off of? Um, well, you know, I, I start with the 120% um, idea. It's not like every team follows it, but it, it has been a number that people floated in baseball before. And so he's 133 last year. Um, you know, I think he had some spring exposure, so you could call it 140 uh, and give him 160 this year. Uh, that would make that would give him about another 50 uh, okay. innings left. And um, Actually, you know, 55. So Zips is right on that, right on that with 55. So 55 to 60. You know, they can stretch that out to the rest of the season uh, with a couple mixed uh, missed starts. Maybe uh, you know, just give them a, a start off and treat him as the fifth starter. That type of stuff. They do have uh, to manage some innings with with Harvey as well. Mm-hmm. I think that Matz is going to come back and they're going to go back to the six man rotation. When I talk to, I know that Harvey doesn't love it. But when I talked to Mats and Syndergaard about the six-man rotation, they said 
you know, if it's a choice between shutting it down and not being with the team. Exactly. And, and you know, taking my turn, uh, you know, every other day. Plus, Mats and Syndergaard both said that they had recently pitched in six-man rotations in the minor leagues. And they, you know, I'm actually hoping for Mats to come up because I have a whole article written with their quotes about um, what to do with the extra off day. I mean, Harvey says he doesn't know what to do with the extra off day. Uh, Mats and Syndergaard could tell him because uh, they they have a whole thing planned out where they say the day after I throw in the past, I used to throw a little bit, you know, um, and then, you know, get into a long toss and then touch and feel. They have, you know, sort of names for every day. And um, so it seems in the six man rotation, basically, instead of doing a little bit of work every day, there's one day in a six man rotation where you just don't do anything. And I guess mm-hmm. Harvey doesn't like that day. Harvey lives in New York City. Uh, I mean, yeah, you can find something to do, and he's yeah, right. remarkably famous. I feel like you could <laughs> occupy some time there. <laughs> I, I hear you on that. Matt's isn't scheduled to even be evaluated until the trade deadline. Uh, the 31st will mark the three-week period that we heard that he's you know, going to just be shut down, no throwing but for three he, weeks. He seemed then, to think it wasn't that big a deal. I think this is very preventative because of his injury history and because, we, like we said, we don't want to be compensating. But um, – you know, if they caught that early and he wasn't hurting that bad, uh, then, you know, I don't think uh, – and he was so good. I guess you could send him to rehab, uh, but uh, I think that they'd be – if they're still in it, they'd be more likely to say, he's good, we're going to take him off the DL, we're going to bring him back – you know, we're not necessarily going to just start him tomorrow, but mm-hmm. uh, we'll man. give him a week to, to uh, throw some bullpens, uh, get back up to speed, maybe send him down for a minor league start. So, uh, you know, bring if that if, if that brings Matt's up uh, in like, you know, for, you know, second week of August, that means for the last six weeks, you're in a six man rotation. I think that really, um, you know, gets rid of the 30 or 20 or 30 innings that you need to take away from everybody. And they have Rafael Montero on the way back, too. So he's another potential if they were to lose somebody else. Or, I mean, or they could move. go to six-man rotation with Montero early, you know. Ex- exactly. Uh, so he's, he's working his way back already. But, you know, in terms of, like, what Syndergaard can do when he's in there, um, you know, I, I personally would project him for almost more strikeouts than he's had so far just because he has the excellent swing strike rate and he's throwing the, the, the slider now. And... You know, just if he continued what he was doing, uh, there are only, let's see here, there are only 11 starters in baseball that have had a better strike as a canine uh, than Syndergaard so far. It's so, it, He's so good. Uh, Syndergaard is, is really good. I wonder if the Blue Jays could use a guy like that. I feel <laughs> like they need pitching. I don't know. Anyway, I... They probably don't even know anything about somebody like Syndergaard, but I feel like a team like the Blue Jays could probably use a guy like that. Who knows? Who even knows? Um, all right, I want to ask you about a couple other guys, and then we'll wrap up here. Jake Odorizzi had some pretty disparate rankings with uh, 40 spots in between his high and low. 28 was his high from Zach. Jeff had him down at 68, and Dan and I were kind of right there, smack dab in the middle at 40 and 43, uh, and that wound up with a 43 overall ranking Odorizzi's been back now for a couple starts. He's been a little bit up and down. I think one of them was against Toronto where you're not really going to punish anybody for getting roughed up by that team. Um, yeah, at, at Toronto, he gave up six runs. Like, okay, you know, that, that happens. But otherwise, five and two-thirds scoreless against Houston and then five innings, two runs against Philly. Where are you at on Jake Odorizzi, who was in the midst of a breakout season before having to miss that month with his injury? 
I might be a little bit higher than where he is just because uh, just because of the people around him. Jose Quintana is a you know two one pitch pitcher maybe even. I mean the the fastball is not great. You give him give him the fastball because he has great command of it. So two pitch pitcher, the changeup's no good. Alex Wood is having command issues. I think related to the fact he's you know, pitching too far down in the zone. Clay Buckles is hurt. Uh, Gio Gonzalez is on his way to being hurt. Um, you know, and uh, Scott Casimir is in a new park. Uh, John Lackey uh, showed up on preseason uh, DL percentage um, leaderboards. Uh, you know, those are that would if you just left him over those guys, you'd get him into the late 30s. Um, and um, you know, below Shelby Miller for me, yes. Below Danny Salazar, yes. Probably even below AJ Burnett. So I would, I would, I would only probably bump him up like five, six spots. Not, it's not a big deal when you're down at 43. And the reason that I wouldn't bump him up more is though, even though we talked about him learning the slutter and it being this new pitch, and by movement it is a new pitch, if you look at the numbers on it in terms of swing strikes and ground balls and stuff, it, there's a, a virtually no difference between the results on his slutter and the results on his mediocre slider that he had before. The only slight possible difference is he can command a little bit better, so... You know, it's. Uh, I don't think that it's uh, necessarily the thing we were looking for. Mm-hmm. He's still kind of a fastball splitter guy with an inconsistent slider, and he's. I wouldn't call the fastball or the splitter on the level of Tanaka. Um, so that that's comfortably, you know, five six slots below Tanaka for me. It's 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 interesting that he's kind of Tanaka like. What about uh, last one for me? And then, if you got any, fine. Then we'll, uh, otherwise, we'll move on. Um, Carlos Martinez had some questions because you know he ended up 59th on the composite ranks. I think Dan said there was a mistake that he had him uh, 97th. You know, he wasn't supposed to have him down that low. So you know, uh, take that one out. He's still. Martinez is probably still only about 51st if you're just looking at the other three rankings. I had him 50th, Zach 52nd, Jeff 54th. For me, it's all innings. I mean, I just I don't know how many to re- realistically expect from him. I guess it's not all innings because also that whip uh, is pretty high compared to his ERA, and I would expect the ERA to rise more than I would expect the whip to drop. Great pitcher, really impressed with what he's done this year, and I'm going to be really super high on him next year. But for the rest of the season, I'm not that high on Carlos Martinez. Where do you come out as far as uh, him for the rest of the season? Yeah, I, I can't really argue too hard for for a higher ranking uh, than you know, sort of low 40s uh, or high 40s, low 50s. And I think you know another thing I noticed was even though his his strikeout minus walk uh, stuff against lefties has gotten a lot better, which is great because he was about one to one strikeout to walk against lefties as he threw a bad uh, his changeup wasn't as good. He talked to Pedro Martinez in the off season. Um, you know, I think he learned something because he added three inches of fade and drop to his to his changeup, and now he strikes out about two guys for every one um, in, against lefties. So he's figured something out. But lefties still have hit a, a few homers off him, probably off of hanging changeups because he's still you know learning the pitch. And then yeah, he's already twenty innings past his his, his highest innings totals, which last year was right around hundred. Um, actually, I guess he's not quite there then, he, but he's already, he's already 11 innings past his, his, his career high. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the 120% rule would say he has, you know, two more starts, but obviously the Cardinals, um, you know, want to keep him around. I think what's going to happen is 
they're going to acquire a Mike Leak type arm. Yep, 100% agree. And I don't know if they're going to demote Martinez or put him in the bullpen again. Um, they're going to do something to keep him around. I bet uh, maybe they'll go to a six-man rotation. I mean, they're forward-thinking, right? Yeah, and, uh, they got to do something. That would be an interesting way for them to keep Martinez stretched out because you want him stretched out. The other option is uh, he probably has an option left. So send him to the minor leagues, uh, put him in a six-man rotation down there, You know, pitch him three, four innings, five innings per start, keep him semi-stretched out, and then uh, ramp him up a little bit. I think some people would be sort of apoplectic that you yeah. sent a guy doing that well to the minors. But, you know, they've sent him down before, and people people have gotten mad, but they, they you know, have kind of shrugged. Well, and there's also the fact that uh, the St. Louis Cardinals don't give one singular shit about anybody's fantasy team. <laughs> so uh, they're, they're going for a World Series title. Because in the end, they're going to say, well, we you know, we won again, guys. Exactly. I mean, when they're hoisting up the trophy, they're like, "Sorry, you finished third instead of first in your fantasy league." We mm-hmm. didn't. We, we we didn't care at the time, and we technically don't care now either. So yeah, I could see something like that happening. Uh, Martinez, I completely agree with you on bringing in uh, a pitcher, not the top end one, not a Hamels, not a Cueto, but somebody like a Leak, who's very nice, you know, perfectly solid. Um, but yeah, the whole thing that the the what I can't get my head around is he. They want to keep him stretched out. So that's where your option comes in because, yeah, how are they going to keep him stretched out without starting him in the majors? You don't want to do four inning starts for him at the majors. That might be the best solution, unfortunately, for fantasy owners for Carlos Martinez is to actually demote him and keep him stretched out down there. So uh, those are the SP ranks right now. You can still get, you can look at all of them. They're, they're, I think they're pretty darn good. Mine, mine were definitely the best. I think it was a uh, uh, clear you know, it's no offense to Zach, Jeff, and Dan. It's just like, come on. You know, they're going against me. Uh, how could, how could they be beat? And since you weren't there, I had a chance to take the throne because your rankings were the best last time around. I think I had some, I had some goofy ones, but these ones that I did this time, these were spot on. Except for that 16 rank of Carlos Carrasco, you're not going to be a fan of that one. Anyway, actually, all of the positions are up now, and if you just want to click the uh, positional rankings, you, any position that you want to click on the sidebar there, uh, it will take you to the current rankings. And if you have any questions, just put them in the comments. But, you know, that's going to wrap us up. We put up a pretty darn good pod today. We're going to be back in a couple days on Tuesday. Good luck finishing up your move because now comes actually one of the underrated worst parts of the move is unpacking the stuff. Finding your crap. (laughs) Exactly. We have been here since May. It's actually going on two months this weekend, and there's still stuff that I don't know where it is at all. Anything that Dana can't find, she declares it lost immediately. And yeah, we're still looking for stuff. But anyway, you know, I will talk to you on Tuesday. Have a good weekend. Take care. Thanks for listening. All right, sweet.